Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we are joined by the E.A. Sokovitz. Let me get that right. Have I got that right? You nailed it. <laughs> Listen, EA, welcome to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on from the Givers University, all the way from Michigan in the United States of America. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Mighty, Meet, Mighty Pete, for having me on your show. And uh, I uh, look forward to being able to share with your listeners. Listen, that's great. So tell us really, who are you and what do you do and where are you from specifically? Great. Uh, well, actually, I was born and raised in the Chicago area. I'm in Michigan now, uh, Chicagoland, Chicago, Illinois, and uh, uh, an area called the Greater Oakbrook area. And my father was a milkman. Uh, so back then, you know, milk came in uh, glass containers. And uh, my father had his, uh, you know, one truck and uh, one route and uh, he'd get up at three in the morning. And of course, all the, the delivery trucks didn't have ice in them. So you had, he had to go break his own ice up. So they had these six foot high sheets of ice and he'd get an ice pick and he'd break the ice down and he'd put that on the milk. And because only the 18 wheelers back then, you know, I was five years old. I'm 65 now. So, uh, man, can you believe that was six decades ago what how did that happen anyway so the uh, so the so here he was you know that's the only the 18 wheelers were refrigerated back then and my father had his own route one man operation you know delivering milk and everyone had the the box outside their house that was a milkman's box and you know what's also funny was interesting was that there was always money in the milkman box and no one took it no one touched the, that was milkman money you know different times than today right so yeah but uh, and uh, so then i you know, I have fond memories of that. My father, you know, five years old, helping him. And then at 16 years old, I took my first step into becoming successful and I became a janitor. Now, I didn't mind being a janitor because business was always picking up. What? Anyway, so the uh, so here I was at the ripe old age of 16. And there was two huge events that happened to me while I was a janitor. Um, at, at 16, uh, Pete, I was able to be bonded, which means basically insured. So if my buffer hit some piece of equipment, insurance company would pay for it. Well, that also, because I was bondable, was able to be in really expensive places and really expensive homes as well. Every Wednesday, I cleaned the home of a lady who, when I say her name, it won't mean anything to your listeners until I make the movie reference. Her name was June Martino. And there was a movie out. Uh, a few years back, it'll probably be on for quite a long time because it's actually a pretty good view. It's called The Founder. Uh, it's about McDonald's and Ray, uh, Michael Keaton plays Ray Kroc. Mm -hmm. And uh, during the movie, Michael Keaton, Ray Kroc, uh, is talking to a lady outside his office all the time. June this, June that. And she's in the entire movie, June Martino. That lady is the lady whose house I cleaned every Wednesday. And uh, she was an extraordinary lady. And uh, when I met her, she was already an icon because I lived in the Oak Brook area where the world headquarters of McDonald's was, witnessed the whole McDonald's. And by the way, the movie, you know, it says at the beginning of the founder, it says, uh, you know, based on a true story. That's true. It's based on a true story. 
but it's not the true story. <laughs> so, you know, there's Hollywood spin all over the place. Ray wasn't the way he's portrayed in the movie. That's all Hollywood spin, you know, just to keep interest for listeners and everything else. Uh, and so one day I was in cleaning June Martino's home. And, uh, and and I'm glad we're able to talk a little bit more today because I usually don't get a chance to share this story. And it's sort of interesting. So I'm watching June and I think, man, I'm cleaning this million dollar house. I'm 16 years old. I love cleaning the garage because, you know, I when they clean the garage, I had to pull the Rolls Royce out. And, you know, and I think, man, I'm sitting in a car, Pete, that's, you know, 10 lifetimes of my income, you know, and here I am, I go home at night and I'm driving, you know, I'm driving a Rolls can hardly, you know, rolls down one hill can hardly make it up the next. And uh, <laughs> so, so I, I'm sitting in her Rolls Royce, oh, man, people really live like this. This is, ex- you know, the whole thing was like this dream world for me. It was a million, it was a million dollar home back then. Just describe, describe that Rolls Royce. What color was it inside? What color was it? It was golden. I'll never forget. It was golden and it was, and, and the inside was like a, a, a lighter shade of gold. And uh, it was, and I, and I tried to clean the garage two or three times every, in a single day, whenever I went, so I could sit in the car, you know, I mean, I had to have a good reason to be in the car. And I, my, so my job, she had a full-time maid and a full-time butler. So, you know, my, I, my job was just to clean the stuff like the swimming pool. And, and my boss said, June wants the janitorial service van in front of her house, eight hours, be busy. So I just kept doing stuff over and over again, you know, and I just, and uh, you know, and I was like fantasizing that this stuff was mine. And here's the thing that was amazing to me: I always thought, Pete, to be successful, you had to be a jerk, you had to take from people, you had to take advantage of people, you had to just throw people under the bus the first chance you got. And she, I could tell by looking at her and watching her, she wasn't that way. You know, I mean, she was nice. She was approachable. Um, every time, like if I was buffing the floor and looking down and she walked through, the room, she'd say hi anyway, even though I hadn't even looked up. Just really approachable and really nice. And that was astonishing to me. I thought, man, how can you be this like super wealthy? She was an icon in the area already. And, you know, and, and still be nice. How do, how do you do that? You know, so one day I got up all the nerve I could. I got to tell you, I was shaking in my janitorial boots and I went up to her and I thought, I'm going to ask June Martino a question, the icon. I'm going to approach her. And here I am, you know, with my dark blue pants and my light blue shirt and one stripe and had the name of the janitorial service and my name over here. You know, that's janitorial garb, right? So I'm walking up to her, but she knew who I was. I was in there all the time, you know, every Wednesday. So I said, uh, hi, June. She goes, oh, hi. I mean, so approachable, Pete, so approachable. And uh, I said, can I ask you a question? And she said, sure. Uh, I said, uh, can I ask you all about how it happened? She said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, the whole McDonald's thing. I'm not kidding. She put her arm around me, brought me in the kitchen, and the entire day, Pete, she told me the whole story from when she worked for Ray before he even met the McDonald's brothers, he was a milkshake mixer salesman for Prince Castle. And, and she told me she started there because she was already working for him all the way through the entire story. Uh, and, and that's why in the movie, there's many nods to many events, even though they, you know, aren't portrayed, they aren't really portrayed accurately. But there was one part in the movie where June Martino goes to Ray and she says, Ray, we don't have any money. We got a problem. And he said, what do you mean we don't have any money? We got multiple stores and multiple franchises. She says, well, we just don't have any money. So that perpetuates in the movie, a drama called The Brothers, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, she told me about that event. And, uh, you know, this is decades before the movie came out. And she said, we didn't have any money and Ray couldn't pay me. 
I said, really? She said, yeah. She said, uh, so I agreed to work for no pay. And I said, what? She says, yeah. She says, we didn't have any money anyway. So she said, uh, we made an agreement that Ray would pay me in worthless company stock. It was worth less than zero because the company was underwater. It was no profit anywhere. And, and it looked like it wasn't going anywhere fast. And that he would even take the phone calls from my bill collectors for me. And I said, June, I got to ask. Man, I'm a janitor. I said, I get paid Fridays, paycheck to paycheck. That's how I live. If I don't get paid on Friday, I'm not showing on Saturday. I need that paycheck. That's how, that's my life. Why did you do it? Peachy sat back and stared at me. And she had this bl this look on her face, like she's staring right at me, eyeball to eyeball. And I could tell she just left the room. And I thought, man, I just asked her a question I think no one's ever asked her before, you know, because everyone always wanted to know what happened with McDonald's, but no one ever asked why. So I say, when I asked her, why'd you do it? About 15 seconds went by and it seemed like 30 minutes because she's staring at me and I'm going, do, 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 do. I'm looking, she's got, she's got an eye lock on me, right? Because I could tell she's really thinking, why did she do it? She really was thinking. And then she spoke. And when she spoke, she made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. And I'll never forget what she said and the way she said it. When I asked her, Pete, I said, why'd you do it? Why'd you work for nothing? When she finally answered, she said, because I believed in Ray. And the way she said it, and my first thought was, that's it. I need to find, I need to find me a Ray Kroc. It, I mean, look, I mean, it didn't work out too bad for her. You know, and here I am, son of a milkman, burnt out janitor. I think a fun night is getting free songs on the jukebox while I'm bowling and cleaning a bowling alley. And I said, and I, I don't even know what I don't know. I don't know the questions I should ask. I don't know what I don't know. All I know is looking at her life and look at my life, I'm doing it wrong, whatever it is. So I thought, man, if I could just find my Ray Kroc, where is he? Where would I find him? And it wasn't two or three months later, we got a phone call at the office. This guy from was in from Michigan opening a diamond store. My boss sent me over to give an estimate on the carpeting. Carpeting was a no sale because all we had was office kind of carpeting and he wanted something real plus for a diamond store. And the guy offered me a job. And I said no four times. And it was in the diamond business. I said, I don't know anything about diamonds. I said, all I know about diamonds is they're expensive and someday a woman's going to ask me for one. That's all I know about diamonds. He said, well, I'll teach you. And I, I said, no. I said, no, like over four times. So finally, I, I did a, uh, agree, started working for him. And I didn't know, and that man, by the way, became my mentor. His name was Sam Robbins. Uh, and he became the father I never had, even though I have a father. And uh, he, uh, I became the son he never had, even though he had a son. And he, he really was an amazing, but he was a puritanical genius, Peter. He wasn't one of the, uh, you know, the, the I, I, you know, I don't believe in the genius IQ BS. You know, I, I think that, you know, I've met too many educated idiots in my life, you know, that have all this book knowledge they can spew at you and zero execution and implementation skills. You know, all they know is theorem, you know, this is this, and they, no ability to execute it. And by contrast, my mentor was the opposite. You know, I mean, he was just the opposite and totally. And to show you what an amazing man he was, he shared a story with me that I'd like to share with your listeners because it, it, it's quite astonishing. He was telling me about growing up in the United States, we had this thing called the Great Depression. And he grew up in that era and he was telling me about it. And he said, you know, 
he said, things are really bad. He said, uh, you know, people were jumping off of buildings because they lost their fortunes. He said, uh, you know, there was multi-mile long soup kitchen lines, people just waiting to get a bowl of soup. He said, he said, for some of our meals, he said it was so bad. For some of our meals, we even ate cardboard. And I thought, oh, and then he said, you know, and he said, and I, and he said, I just find something to keep busy throughout the day. He said, there was no money anywhere, very desperate times. And he said, and I walked by this store every day and there was a guy in the store was filled with sewing machines. No one was ever in it. And there was one guy always in the back. He said, so one day I just stopped in, figured I'd talk with him. And he, he said that I started talking with him. Finally, he was the owner of the sewing machine store and he paid for all these sewing machines and they're all sitting there collecting dust. And, uh, and he, he, he told me he couldn't even have an employee because he couldn't afford employees. It was just him. That was it, right? And uh, so he, he had, my mentor had this flash in his mind. And he told the owner of the store, he said, would you mind if I helped you sell some of these sewing machines? And the guy said, I wouldn't mind at all. I'd love it. What do you have in mind? He said, well, this is what I'm thinking. How about if we sell them on payments? Because no one has any money to pay for a whole sewing machine. He said, why don't we sell them on payments? He said, I'll, we'll split the payments. I'll back the sewing machine. So if someone walks with the sewing machine, you're, you, you have nothing exposed. He said, uh, he said, I, and I'll back it. And, his, and the owner said, man, go for it. I mean, these things are all paid for. They're just collecting dust. Nothing's happening. So the next step my mentor did is he put together a flyer and he circulated it all through the area of women to work from home. Now, he said he could not keep up with the response because no one was hiring. So the fact that anyone was hiring, he said he just couldn't even keep up with the response. He said, and, and he built this huge community of women. And, he, and what he did was he got them to buy the sewing machine on payments. He gave them the patterns to sew. He gave them the material to sew. He then guaranteed he would buy the clothing from them that they made, thus guaranteeing their income guaranteeing they could make the payments on the sewing machine and also have an, a, an income because no one was even having any income at that point, right? So then he said to them, I will guarantee I'm going to buy the clothing from you. He would then buy the clothing and sell it to clothing stores as deep discounted, handmade, high quality clothing, something all the stores needed. And then they would turn around, sell them to their customers at deep discounted, very cheap clothing, but that was high quality and handmade. When people were jumping off of buildings, when people were in multi-mile long soup kitchen lines, in one year, he earned $1 million. Now, in today's dollars, that was depression dollars. So in today's dollars, that's 10 million plus easily, right? And and I, and you think, man, what kind of guy comes up with something like that, right? I mean, just, and, and he solved all these problems. And that was part of the lesson that of what he taught me was solve other people's challenges, right? He, here's a guy with a sewing machine store. They're just collecting dust. He helped solve his problem. Then he helped solve the problem for women that, and he built this huge community of all these women working together. And then he solved the problem with them and he helped them. And he, he solved the challenge of the business owners and solved the challenge of the ultimate customer to get this clothing. And by doing all of those things. So first of all, I share with listeners, what's your excuse? And my business mentor taught me, you'll never have money problems. You'll have idea problems, but you won't have money problems.
He said, because everything, every business venture, all of them, with no exception, started with an idea. And he said, that's where it begins. And I, and so, I mean, this guy was a real puritanical genius. And I was so blessed to have him in my life because the life lesson. So at the ripe old age of 19 years old, I said, Sam, I mean, he had already made so many millions in his life and he, he was happy and just like, you know, he had all the things like I felt I wanted, right, in my life. And I said, Sam, will you teach me it all? Don't hold back. Teach me everything. And he said, okay, I will, but I want one thing from you. He said, when the time is right and you will know that time, I want you to teach as many people as you possibly can everything I've taught you. So at 19 years old, Pete, I made a vow. I made an oath to my mentor. And that has transformed itself decades later into what we now know as Givers University. That's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's just, it's simple, right? You know, and this is, I love the way you've described this and the way you know, and the, and the story is, I mean, well, can I ask, I mean, your, your background, I mean, 16 year old, were you head in the books or head heading out the door? Where were you going? I mean, what was your, what was your sort of attitude at that time? I, I just, you know, I, I knew that somehow I wanted to quote unquote, make it. And yet I didn't even know what make it meant. You know, I, I didn't know what a mentor was. I'd spent all my hooked on phonics money on something else, I'm sure. And uh, so, and, and, but, and I'm watching June, you know, and she's 16, you know, at 16 years old, I'm, I'm watching how, you know, that people really live like this and that they don't have to be, you know, jerks and idiots and, you know, that kind of person. And, and, and so, and, and that was when the, I think more than anything else, that, conversation that one day with June, uh, June Martino really planted the seed and watered it, you know? And I thought, well, she could do it. I mean, she doesn't look like she's an alien. You know, I don't see any superpower or anything in any way. She, it must come down to two things. She's either, she knows something I don't know, or she's doing something I'm not doing. I mean, what else could it be other than those two things? And when she shared the whole story with me of a phenomenon I had witnessed in my life, even the first McDonald's franchise in Des Plaines, Illinois, we drove by it a hundred times on my dad's milk route, uh, you know, by that actual place, right? And, uh, and and I watched the number change to one million hamburgers. I thought, a million hamburgers? Wow. You know, now they don't even count anymore, right? So, the, uh, you know, it's in the billions and billions. But so it, that's the time, I think, where I really watered that uh, it, it transformed Pete from, you know, the, the big wish and, you know, I want to, I want to, and if I could, I should have kind of into, yeah, maybe it really could, but I know I need to learn what I don't know. And I don't even know what that is yet. I don't even know what I don't know. I don't know the questions to ask. I don't need, you know, so I, I need to, I, all, I just threw it out there. And, and one of the things my mentor to answer your question taught me was don't worry about the answers. They're omnipresent. They're always there. He said, focus on asking the right questions. He said, our lives become self-fulfilling prophecies. And he said, most people get what they do not want in life. And they're surprised when they get what they've actually asked for. He said, so focus on asking the right questions and you'll always get the right answers. He said, you ask the wrong question, get the wrong answer. Said, so inadvertently, Pete, 
without even knowing I did it. It was out of impetuousness and true ignorance, simply not knowing. When I threw it out there and I just said, where would I find my Ray Kroc? Where would he be? Man, it wasn't two or three months later, that phone call rang, that phone rang at our janitorial service and only the owner and I were the only two there and he sent me because he had to stay there. I mean, the owner could have went and this never would have happened. You know, I mean, just you look at those extraordinary events and how they happened in life. So my mind was, it, tran it transitioned from the, you know, could it really happen to me, son of a milkman? Uh, you know, to, yeah, maybe it could, but I don't know how that happens. To, man, here's someone that could really teach me. And he, you know, and I just, I'm going to cross the T's and dot the I's and, and I'm, you know, just, you know, I just want to learn whatever it is. And, and then that thirst and that desire began to build. And yeah, it became a fire in my belly. I have a two-part question. And really, how, how did June make you feel? And then how did Sam make you feel? Um, June made me feel that anyone could do it if she could. And Sam made me feel I could do it. Mm. That's beautiful, right? Yeah. Yeah, and even, you know, they both have passed on, you know, Sam, he had diabetes, you know, I mean, living on cardboard. I mean, it took a toll on his life and he left us, uh, you know, decades before his time. And and both, him, you know, him and June have passed on. And, you know, and I'm sure she never, she, I don't know if she ever really knew the impact that, that one day. And I, I do remember thinking, man, why, this is, this is June Martino. Why is she talking to me? And I kept thinking, is there someone else in the room that I don't see or something? Because, you, you know, here's this, I'm a 16 year old kid. You know, why is she the whole day? She even has made the butlers bringing us food in the kitchen so she can keep telling me the story. And I, and I, and I'm thinking this, how, what in the world is going on here? It was just like this weird time and space colliding that it didn't even make sense to me other than this is just amazing. You know, <laughs> it was that thing. What was the original plan? What did you want to do when you grew up? Did you know, or was it just a sense? No, I, I got to tell you, I was about the money. You know, I was just, you know, a teenager, you know, uh, you know, I, I was taught that, you know, uh, you know, go to school, get a good education, get a good job, get a career, find someone, get married and live happily ever after. And I didn't realize all of that was backwards. My mentor taught me, dude, you live happily ever after first. That's the thing you do first, live happily ever after. And, and he said, and all those other things as I go along. And then at 16 years old, Pete, I was about the money. Show me the money. And here's June Martino, you know, a full-time maid and butler. I don't remember the butler's name. The, the maid was Viola. I remember her name. She was so cute. Just, I mean, just a nice maid, you know, just a nice, sweet older lady. Just, just always, just so sweet all the time. You know, you could tell she just loved being in, and she was in this beautiful home, million dollar mansion. Right. And I, so I, I really, I, you know, I was, I was about the money, you know, and that's my mentor, you know, and obviously he was very wealthy and I could see it was coming out of his pores almost. And, uh, and, and, and I didn't know that I should be happy first and then rich because that was really wealthy, not just the money. But in my, as a teenager, I just, Peter, I just wanted to make a lot of money, you know, and I thought that was what it was going to be about. And I didn't realize I had it backwards. And that's where a mentor came in when he started saying, no, no, it's about being happy first. And one of the things he taught me was, uh, uh, he, he, you know, again, in my late teens, he says, let me teach you about this thing called life. And I said, okay. 
He said, picture the scale in your mind. And on the right side of the scale are all the things you're going to get and receive in your life. All of them. They're all, they're all going to come off that side of the scale. And he said, on the left side of the scale, picture all the things you're going to give, you're going to contribute, you're going to invest, all the things you're going to help with. He said, all those two things. He said, now, what's interesting about this life scale is it's never out of balance. He says, even when it seems like it's out of balance for a nanosecond, it strives for balance and will always balance itself. And he said, now what I'm going to say next is going to be a little bit on the tough side to get your head around. He said, but you will. He said, you'll get your head around it. When you do, you're going to be amazed at what happens in your life. He said, here's what's challenging. You got to forget about the right side. Forget about all the stuff you're going to get. And he said, and make it your daily objective to heave so much on that left side, on the, the giving side. So just heave so much that your daily goal is to get that scale out of balance. That's your job. Get it out of balance. He said, because it writes itself. It strives for balance. And he said, and when you do that, you'll never have to be concerned about what comes to you on the right side. And I can share with you, Pete, that that was an absolute truth. Absolute. And those things, there were so many blessings I had in my life because I, I just listened to this guy and I thought, man, no one else is going to teach me, you know, and I, and, and, and then he began as he began to supplant my education and all this with wisdom, you know, and, uh, and, you know, wisdom is knowing what to do and when to do it. And, and by being, having him there and asking him every question I could possibly, th I, there had to be times where he just feel like I was a jackhammer, you know, bah, 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 you know, all the questions, but, but I just, I, I truly, the thirst began to grow and it meant more and more to me. And I realized, and I could see his health was deteriorating. I thought, man, I, you know, I just, what, how about this, Sam? And how about that? And how about this? You know, and I, and I just wanted to learn it. In fact, when we first smart in the diamond business, when he first hired me, I lived in Chicago and he was in Detroit. I drove uh, 301 miles. I got in the car every Friday night, Saturday morning. It was maybe about 2, 3 in the morning. Got in the car, drove 301 miles from Chicago to Detroit, had a half a, have maybe a six-hour meeting with him, got back in the car and drove all the way back to Chicago the same day. I did that every single weekend for four months in a row. The whole six hours there, I thought about all the questions I wanted to ask him. I had to exhaust him. I just had to exhaust him. And, uh, and, and, then, and, then, and then I had my meeting with him. And then all the way home, I pondered the answers and what they meant. And those, those four months, and I never missed a weekend in the heart of winter, I made sure I made that trip. I didn't know he was testing me. He was. And, uh, and, and I didn't know that, you know, I, uh, there were so many things I didn't know at that time, but I was wanting to learn. And he, and he just kept flan, you know, flaming that fire, just fanning it and fanning it. And then I fanned it too, you know, cause I began to realize that and these things really are possible and that it, it really was. And, and later on, you know, one of the things I was blessed to do, I interviewed 1000 millionaires in two years. I had a, a radio talk show and I was on five nights a week and I interviewed three millionaires a night for five nights and over two years. So literally over two years time, I interviewed over 1000 millionaires wanting to find out. Tell us with that again. So three yeah. millionaires a night for five nights a week. Yep. That's awesome. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, and they were extraordinary people. And you know what was interesting about that is uh, that they were all specialists in different kinds of industries, but there were, and I, my, I was seeking, Pete, what's the commonalities? I mean, why these thousand people? And even today, at least in the U.S., when you take someone's income together of their whole life and add it together, it's still, even with inflation, still quite, not a million dollars. So why these, why these thousand people, you know, these thousand men and women, what, what did they do different that obviously the vast majority of people are not doing? There must be something. And you know what was interesting is that some of them even had the same stories, didn't know each other, different industries, different nights of the week, different parts, you know, the world, uh, you know, I mean, and, and they, and what was interesting was that they all peaked ahead of time where everything in their life told them, do not take the next step. Everything. Their family said, throw in the towel. No money. Bank. Economy. Politics. Everyone around them. Their vendors. They all had that story where everything in their life told them to stop. And what was even more interesting to me was the fact that some of them, the next thing they said now, these are people, they didn't even know each other, Pete. And they even used the same words, some of them. They said, do you know, I took the next step to see if anything else could go wrong. I thought, what else could possibly go wrong? Did I, did I maybe miss something? Because, <laughs> you know, they said it was like a morbid fascination to see if they actually missed anything else that could go wrong. And they said, I don't even know why. I don't know why. I just did the next step. I was stepped one more time. And they all said... Not, not some of them, not a few of them. They all 100% had the story and had the following thing happen. They said, when I did that next step, they said it was sort of strange. They said, it was like temporary defeat exited my life and said, you know, this guy or gal doesn't know when to throw in the towel. So I'm just going to go screw up someone else's life because obviously they're not going to give up and it's just too difficult. And they said, things started working out. And some of them even said, you know what, it was, I could tell it's even in spite of me and it was working out and, you know, almost in spite of me. And, and I thought, wow, isn't that amazing that there's a thousand people who've all done a thing that, you know, most people say, I want to be a millionaire, right? And, 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 and they all had the, there was those little threads that went through their lives that to me was just fascinating and astonishing. And, and I began to learn, my business mentor said, I said, you're going to get tackled. He said, get used to it. He said, you don't drown by falling in the water. You drown by staying there. Get out of the pool. He said, you know, and he said, and he said, get rid of the F-bomb. I said, the F-bomb? He said, yeah, don't say the word failure. I said, oh, that F-bomb. He said, yeah, don't say the word failure. He said, supplant it. Use the word temporary defeat. He said, even saying the word failure has an eternal ring to it. He said, you're going to get tackled a thousand times in your life. And I did. And he said, when that happens, he said, when you say temporary defeat, you're now labeling it properly. It's temporary. It's not forever. And it's a defeat. You got, so much, you got tackled. When you stand up, you're going to realize you got a first down. You're still in the game. He said, when you say failure, you're throwing yourself out of the game. Stay in the game. So it was those things, you know, that over those years, Pete, that he just, he drilled them into me. And I was so blessed 
so many times he was out for me in spite of me. You know, I mean, like he was more out for me than I was out for me, if that makes any sense whatsoever. It's just beautiful, isn't it? I mean, a, a, a sort of a flashback to June and that, you know, against common thought, I suppose, you know, you can't pay me. Okay, bye-bye. You know, as opposed to when you're committed, whether you realize it or not, and saying, listen, it's no longer about the money. That that changes the the deal with the universe, right? Because it says, okay, it's not the money keeping me here. It's the curiosity. It's the, the passion. It's the desire. It's the belief. So then it changes the formula. It says, well, okay, if it's not about the money, what is it? And then at this point, you've asked, you believe, and you're doing it, and then it's just to receive thereafter, right? Does that make sense? Pete, you just nailed it. And you are I love the way you articulate that. And I mean, I mean, yeah, June had that time, right? Mm -hmm. My mentor, Sam Rao, he had that time. And uh, they, they all did that next step when everyone else would have thought they were crazy and nuts. And But those are the same... All those people that say the crazy are the same ones that never make a million, you know, and, 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 and wealth, as he taught me, isn't necessarily, you know, it's not about money. Uh, and he taught me that, you know, and, and I can share it. What I'm about to say is not to be braggadocious. It really isn't. I, it's to share with your listeners. These things work. Listen to Mighty Pete. Listen to what he's teaching you. He's your mentor. He's being your mentor by virtue of this podcast with 400 plus episodes. He's teaching you, right? These, by doing just what he taught me, Pete, I didn't make up any of this stuff. I didn't make up any of it. I just, I'm repeating it. You know, I'm, I'm like a conduit because I guess I can do it. <laughs> anyway, so the, so here I am. So here I am. This is my mentor. And, you know, at 23, I became a millionaire. At, at, at 30, at uh, 1989, at 33 years old was the first year I earned a million dollars in salary. That was after I paid taxes that year in personal income, I had a million dollars. That wasn't me. I can tell you it wasn't me. And I'm not saying it'd be braggadocious. I'm saying to your listeners, wake up and listen. There's other ways. There are things, if it's not working for you, then maybe you need to take a look at something else, you know, and maybe look, look at, get a new coach, get a mighty Pete into your life and say, okay, how do I do this? You know, and, and be open to other ways because if you keep doing what you've been doing, you're going to keep getting what you got. So, Make an adjustment. There's a reason the mighty Pete's in your life will sit on the sideline and they watch from the sidelines. They're not standing next to the football quarterback because if they stand next to him, they're going to see the same thing he's saying. They're going to see the same thing he sees. Mighty Pete has a different perspective. He stands on the sidelines and he can see, okay, do you see what the other team's doing over there? And he can whisper in the quarterback's ear, do this, do this. Don't do that because I made that mistake. And those, so I'm such an advocate, Pete, for a mentor. And if your listeners, any one of them, if they don't have a mentor, Pete, in my world, we call that naive. Mm -hmm. Get a mentor, get multiple mentors that are specialists in other areas, and then be smart enough to ask them the right questions. Do you still have a mentor? Absolutely. Well, and, and my mentor now is a, uh, it, you know, I, I mean, I certainly have specialists and I pay a lot of people who are specialists in their industry. Uh, but, you know, my life has made interesting turns and uh, my mentor now is, uh, you know, I read the Bible every day. And every year I read the Bible cover to cover. 
Every year, I read the Bible cover to cover, and uh, so my mentor is, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not able to see him the way I can see a Sam Robbins, if you will, and uh, and and yet all those lessons are in that book, and and everything, and and the, and the learning becomes deeper and deeper and deeper, and all the life lessons and all those things that are in there. So yeah, I have a mentor, that's for sure. May I ask what you talked about? Sort of interesting turns in life. May I ask what those turns might be? I, business betrayals. Um, you know, I have, uh, I had three, you know, huge, huge temporary defeats in my life. Um, and, uh, each one of them caused me to write a book, which subsequently became a course for givers university. I actually teach what happened. You know, this is what happened. One of them, uh, I'll share with you. Each one got worse and worse. And, you know, <laughs> as, 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 you know, huge fortunes came in and left my life and in my life as I was being tackled again and learning my life lessons. Right. Uh, th this one still, you know, I, I call it my first major defeat, if you will. Uh, I, I, separate from being mentored with uh, my mentor, Sam Robbins, I had also started a training company and I had a partner. We owned the company 50-50. And back then, uh, you know, obviously decades ago, there was a thing called a voice answering machine that sat on your desk. And uh, it was a little box. And on the left side was a cassette tape that had your outgoing message. That was 10 or 15 seconds long. When someone called you, you could record your message and they could hear your voice. And on the right side was a 60 minute tape of messages that people would leave. And you came, you know, and I'd leave home or leave my office, come back and the light would be blinking if there was a message. right? And so I left home for like an hour and a half. Come back. The light's blinking. I can see I have a message and I see what in the world? The whole 60 minute tape had been used and I was only gone an hour and a half. And and I thought, oh, some kids got a hold of it because my machine was voice actuated. So as long as someone talked, it would keep recording, right? There, wouldn't, there was no time limit on it. So oh, some kid, then it happened a couple of times where kids would get a hold of it and they're just playing, right? I thought, oh, some kids got, oh, boy, was I in for a shocker. So in the message, I could hear that my, not my mentor, my business partner in a training company was calling me and just saying, call me back. And back then when someone called you in three-way calling and call conferencing, there was actually a little tone you could hear in the background. So as he was leaving me this just few seconds message, I could hear beep, beep in the background. Someone was calling him at the same time he was leaving my message. He hit the receiver on his phone so fast. Yeah, exactly. It turned the call into call conferencing with my machine and recorded my machine recorded the whole conversation with him and someone else. But wait, it doesn't end there. That conversation was the entire conversation on how they were going to kick me out of the company and take it over play by play, step by step. Let me tell you, Pete, when you hear it in their words, it's a little bit different than third party. I mean, I'm here in the plan. And I thought, hey, what am I going to do? This is unbelievable. This is like, you want to talk about being blindsided. I didn't realize that this has happened. They have no way. In fact, even today, they do not know it ever happened. I never told them. I never told them. And uh, so I thought, man, this is, I, I mean, it was just, you know, you want to talk about the emotional depths that brought me down into. And one of the things my mentor taught me he said, you want to react, you want to be responsive in life, not reactive. And he said, let me explain, give you an example. He said, in the medical community, if you are getting a treatment and it's not working for you, they say he's having a reaction to it. If it's working for you, they say he's responding to it. He said, you want to be responsive, not reactive. He said, 
always work on and ultimately achieve having your intellect control your emotions because then you'll always be responding. When your emotions control your intellect, you will be reacting. Nothing good's going to come out of that reaction. He said, work on becoming a responsive person. Have your intellect control your emotion. And fortunately, he had taught me that. So I have this sleepless night, mighty Pete. What in the world am I going to do? This guy, I mean, I, we're equal partners. Can I ask, I mean, what was the tone of that? Was it, is it, was it against you or was it? Uh, greed. Sure. 100% greed. Okay. Greed, greed. The company, we had opened multiple offices. It was doing <clears> great. And he wanted this other guy as a partner instead of me. Just flat out that simple. And it was more about the greed. You know, I, mean, he, I could already, I could tell in the conversation as he laid forth the plan, he was going to be, it wasn't going to, he was going to be more than 50%, which me, we were just 50 50. So, you know, this other guy, he was going to give him a lesser amount, but he was going to be, you know, take my spot, quote unquote, right? So I have a sleepless night, Pete. I think, man, what in the world am I going to do? So I get up the next morning. I thought, you know, I just got to listen to what my mentor taught me. And I was still being mentored, right? I mean, at that point, they're two separate people. I thought, well, I got it. I don't want this guy in my life for sure. So I told him, I said, Jim, that was his name. I said, you need to buy me out, which, you know, was going to goof up all of his plans. I knew the plans. He had, you know, I just heard him step by step. And I said, none of that. You have seven days to do it. I'm going to do something with my mentor, which I planned on doing something particular with him. And uh, so, you know, he gave me a down payment on the company and I got a couple payments later. And I have to say, I thought the payments were gifts. I never even thought I was going to see him because I already knew what kind of person he was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, this, this was a betrayal, you know, it, it, you know, someone you're working with every single day and you think you're building something with him, right? Here's what's really interesting. A year later, 12 months later, I saw him at an amusement park. And he, and just because of the angle we're at, he didn't see me, but I knew it was him. I mean, I knew who my old business partner was. And uh, I had already heard that he had filed for personal bankruptcy. He had filed for business bankruptcy, closed all of the business offices, and gotten divorced. And I'm looking at him, and it's only 12 months have gone by, and he looked like he had aged 20 years. And that same year, Pete was the highest income and most prosperous year I had had in my life thus far. And it has, and why? I, if I didn't get that training from my mentor, I would have done different things. I would have handled that totally differently. But my training took hold. That's why your listeners need to have Mighty Pete as a mentor. I'm telling you right now. That's a, and I'm just not saying that as being an advocate for Mighty Pete, even though I am. I'm saying have a mentor. Because if you don't, it's naive. You know, you've got people that can say, don't do that. I did that. That's going to hurt. <laughs> do this thing over here. It's a whole lot of, and, and that guidance. And then, you know, as he just drilled so many of these lessons in me over and over and over again, you know, trying to get through that thick head, you know, and, uh, and, and finally he did, you know, with certain precepts and, and, so, and those things helped me at those challenging moments in life. Uh, you know, and, and then I brought this course called, uh, that was the giver's mindset. The first course, there's a whole series of three courses called, uh, give to be great. And the giver's mindset is the first course. I wrote the book, the giver's mindset so that my butt wasn't in that position again. I figured I got to learn it. One of the best ways to do it is I'm going to write a book about it and I'm just going to, and then I teach these things, these betrayals and things that happen and you know, the, the temporary defeats in my life and the blessings I got that always came out of it by doing the right thing because 
I was taught these things. I didn't make them up and I wasn't, and, and, and these, I was just taught and I paid attention and I listened. What is the best response to that? Once you have listened, what's the best response when somebody is doing something that is not in your benefit or aligned with your values? Start asking the right questions. Yeah. Start asking the right questions on, you know, what should be, what's the best next step now that I have this new information, because I don't believe knowledge is power, right? You know, cliches are cliches because they're usually true, but there's a lot of them that aren't. And one of them is knowledge is power. That's not, it's not true. I've never seen knowledge is power. Applied knowledge is power. Mm. If you apply it, yeah, now it's power. But up until that point, I've met too many educated idiots to prove that knowledge is not power, you know? Uh, and, and so, so one of the things that's so important, getting back to that question I ignorantly asked, where do I find my Ray Kroc? When we ask the right questions, as you so astutely put, it changes the game. You know, by asking the wrong questions, we're going to get the wrong answer because our lives truly are self-fulfilling prophecies. We have a God-given right of a freedom of choice. And that thought, that choice also is our thoughts. And that's where it begins. How we frame it, how we think about it, and the questions we ask. The person who says, I never meet the right people in my life, can never figure out why they never meet the right people in their life. I don't say that. Ask the right question, you get the right answer. And that's the next step. For you in your, in your life, in your opinion, who... When you ask that question, who's it being directed at or to? Usually it's to me. The first question is, you know, I mean, in my own mind, you know, what now that I've learned this, mm -hmm. how can I build on this? How can I utilize this so that it helps and benefits everyone that it's supposed to? And so this part is of that, you that's had all this mentoring, has seen all these experiences, has spoken to the genes, the Psalms in life of you know, the father or the son of a milkman, you know, all yes. these things. So that's the, the inner you, right? The you that is the best version of you. Is that, is that, is that a fair summary? Yes, it is. And then, because then that's where it starts because then after there's our actions. Mm -hmm. I know that there are a lot of people just, you know, blindly just go about activity, you know, and, uh, and, you know, and that's where I think the, the cliche practice makes perfect is wrong. You know, <laughs> practice doesn't make perfect. It never did. Perfect practice makes perfect. Practice doesn't make perfect. You can practice the wrong way for a really long time. It doesn't mean you're going to get any better at it just because you did it more times. You're still doing it wrong, right? So uh, the, the internalization, how we frame it, how we label things, and then how we label those, and then how we then that helps us with our next step going forward. You know, what, what is the next thing I should do? And, and to focus on asking the right questions. And it's amazing how the answers are always there because the answers truly are, they're omnipresent. They're all around us and they're always there. What's that, that bit, and I'm, I'm sort of going back to June again, that bit to sure. stay on when nobody else, everyone else would have left the table. Is that something that you saw reoccurring in Sam and all those millionaires that you got the opportunity to sit with? Was that sort of dogged perseverance unknowing, whatever. Was that a common thread? Not only was it a common thread, it was an absolute in all of them with no exceptions. In other words, there wasn't one that didn't have that story. 
That's what's astonishing. That, see, that to me, there was the lesson that, you know, there's a consistency that's worth, worth observing here. You know, what, why is that? Why, why is that consistent? You know, what, at what point in their life, you know, did that fire in that belly sort of help them that, you know, and then they asked the right question. And, and, and sometimes the question was a little feeble, you know, like what else could go wrong? But they, took, but they did the right step. And the next step was, what should I be doing next, you know, and, and to build, um, you know, I, I, I had, I, I invested some time with the gentleman that started Domino's pizza. And, uh, and I remember him telling me, uh, Tom Monahan, how he was truly astonished that every day when he went home, the IRS had not locked up his house because he did not, he had not paid, um, employment tax. He said, I, I just couldn't believe it. He said, my wife and I, we couldn't believe it. He said, we truly, every day, went home, thought that a house would be, the, the door was going to be locked and everything was going to be taken from us. He said, we, we still, even today, don't know why it didn't happen. And then and things worked out and eventually got caught up and everything was good and it all worked out fine, you know. And he became a billionaire as a result, you know. And uh, so th these stories, again, there's, there's these consistent stories that there's so much wisdom in them. Um, here's a great story I'd like to share with your listeners because it really shows the distinction that my mentor tried to teach me was the difference between givers and takers, uh, hence the term givers university. Mm -hmm. And, and what we, first of all, I want to say to your listeners, uh, mighty Pete, that we love everybody. I say it emphatically. We love everybody. And one of the things, and one of the most important things we teach at givers university is how to separate the person we love from their deeds, which we do not love. And how to observe the deeds, not what they say. Simply put, our talk talks and our walk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks. And what we do is... We, give me that one again. Yeah. And, and I want to say, by the way, I practiced that right before I said it. So that was why <laughs> uh, But uh, our talk talks okay. and our walk talks... Okay. And our walk talks louder than our talk talks. Okay. In other words, the deeds we do, the things we say. So we actually teach, in one word, discernment. We teach people how to discern in their relationships with businesses coming and going faster than ever before in history. Opening and closing, opening and closing. And products being antiquated overnight faster than ever before. When it's all done, what do we have left? Our relationships. Mm -hmm. And no one's teaching us how to discern who should I have in my life and who I should not. Say, I'm a self-improvement guy. I'm positive you are. I'm positive many of your listeners are. But no one's teaching us, Mighty Pete. What about the other guy? What if he's not doing it right? What should I do about that? No one's teaching that. How do we discern? So when we say giver, we're not labeling a person. We're labeling deeds, giver deeds. When we say taker, we don't label people. We label their deeds. So we actually teach checklists of deeds. We have one that's called the 25 do's. It's the 25 actual deeds that you will watch and observe. It's a skill people will do. And you watch these 25 things that you see givers do. By contrast, you can watch and observe these 25 things that takers do. You total up the check marks on the bottom of the checklist, and there you have it. And now we can decide, should I bring that person closer into my life because I, I want them a part of my giver community, 
or because of the things I'm seeing they're doing, not what they're saying, because of the things I see them doing, should I begin to respectfully distance myself, not rude or nasty or insensitive, but respectfully begin to distance myself because if I bring them closer, Pete, they're going to make me collateral damage and I'm going to be stomping out fires not of my making. I ask your listeners, how many fires you stomp out every day that I'll guarantee you have a name attached to them? How many times your stress levels go up during the day and I'll guarantee you they got a name attached to them? But if we can be taught a skill, and it is a skill of discernment in relationships, what should I be looking for at a very granular, not broad swaths of innocuous information. This one guy, I was doing an interview and he said, oh, this is really great. I said, you know, I just read a book and it said I should have five good people around me. I said, you're right. You should. You should have five good people. One question. Which five? Which five? And all of a sudden he stared at me with his blank look, little orphan Annie eyes. And I said, see my point. No one's teaching which five. What do you, what do you look for? What are the deeds, right? So we actually have genuine checklists at the most granular level to where you can no longer say, how do I do it? Because there it is. That's how you do it, right? And these are things you look. So we teach that discernment. It's a common thread through all of the Give to Be Great courses. And it's the one word that says what we do at Givers University. We teach discernment in relationships. And it has the impact when you think about the impact relationships have in our life, the people around us, our social relationships, our business relationships, our family relationships, what's going to impact you more than those? And I can share with you, the answer is nothing. Because when you have great relationships around you with the right people of the right mind, and we've discerned properly, our productivity goes up because we're not stopping out fires. Our stress level goes down because we're not being stressed because we're constantly dealing with these other people that we shouldn't have in our life anyway. So we don't label people. When we say giver, we're labeling giver deeds. When we say taker, we say taker deeds. We're labeling the deeds of those people. And that distinction I've seen have a huge impact on people's lives because they're finally saying, oh man, I just really needed this. You know, I just, you know, I've always, I look in the mirror and I want to work on me and I want to be the best I can be at me, but no one's teaching me what should I be watching for on who I should and shouldn't be pulling in closer into my life. And, and, and in a way that um, is proper and is ethical and is moral and that, and, and that lays it out. Look at these deeds because the deeds themselves will tell you the answer. You don't have to guess. You don't have to judge. There's no judging involved. The answers are right there. And that's really what we teach, that point of givers and takers and discernment. And my business mentor said, this is the part of giving that people don't get. He said, they only know the first half of the sentence. They, no one's taught them the second half. The first half of the sentence is, when you're a giver, people will take advantage of you. He said, we're taught that. When you're a giver, be yeah. careful, be watchful, people take advantage of you, right? He said, but here's the part no one gets. When you're a giver, people will take advantage of you, but you are never diminished because they took advantage of you. They are diminished. You're not diminished. They are. He said, so people will take advantage of you when you're a giver, but only they are diminished when they did, not you. That life scale will get into balance again, and it'll strive for balance, and you will get back all those things. And I could just... The first betrayal I shared with you, my first major business defeat, right? The temporary defeat with my uh, the training company. 
What, what happened right there? There's the giver's life scale in living color. He got back all the things. And I got back all the things, right? And so that's what's so important about when we understand that part of it. And we really get the, our head around that. Uh, and a point just for a breather. And I, I just, I appreciate the opportunity because I just, I love to be able to download the things that my mentor shared with me to have it really genuinely, positively impact other people's lives. So much of this stuff, as you and I know, Pete, there, this isn't in books. These are experiential. You know, these are things that are taught from father to son, you know, are, are taught from mentor to, from, to student, you know. And, and, and one of the things he taught me, which I just loved, this one was mind-blowing. Even today, boggles my mind. Because he grew up in the Depression era, my mentor, you know, and he, he lived on cardboard literally some days. You know, he, got a, he had an extreme case of diabetes and it did take his life decades early. And his life was deteriorating. And one day he came to me and at this point we were, you know, I was in my thirties already and I met him in my teens and I'm in my thirties. We were 50% partners on number, many businesses. And he came to me one day and he said, uh, I would like to propose that we compete against each other. And I was busy working. And I looked up and I saw that look in his eye. I knew that twinkle. I knew that sparkle, that something really extraordinary was on that mind. I, I knew the look, right? And, uh, and I, I thought, okay, what do you mean, Sam? And he said, well, this is, what, this is what I propose. He says, I propose that we compete to see who can make each other the most money in one year. And we go year by year. And he said, and the winner won by making the loser more money than they made them. And he said, and here's the best part. The winner gets to ask for anything they want and the loser has to buy it for them. And I said, wait, I said, okay, wait a minute. Wait, I want to make sure I understand this here. Okay. So what you're saying, Sam is right, we're going to compete every year. Right. And if you make me more money that year than I make you, you win, I lose. Because you won, you get to ask for anything you want. And because I lost, I have to buy you whatever it was. He said, yeah, that's it. And I said, okay, wait now. That, that means the other side of the coin is true too, right? That means if I make you more money than you made me, then I win and you have to buy me anything I want. Is that right? And he said, yeah, you got it. I said, and I, I even remember, Pete, the sigh I made before I said, okay. And I went, okay, this is going to be really interesting. Man, Pete, the first year, he beat me so bad. It was brutal. I mean, he won so bad. I mean, it was, it was, and you know what? I paid cash for him for a home in Florida because he won. Now here's the part. I couldn't, I couldn't be mad. He won. He made me more money than I made him. I had the money. It wasn't like I didn't have the money, right? And I thought, man, this is going to be brutal. I be, I need to get smart fast here. This is, I mean, we're going year to year here, so I need to get my act together. And the next year I did win, and he bought me an aircraft, and that's when I became a commercial pilot. The next year he bought me a limousine. The next year he bought me another plane. And then we just started carrying it forward year by year. And you know what, Pete, it dawned on me. What finally it dawned on me what he had really done. I thought, man, this guy is something else. He knew his his health was deteriorating. We both knew it. 
you know? And, uh, you know, he had this extreme case of diabetes and his health was teary. I'm in my thirties. He's not going to, he, he's not able to keep up just in the hours of every day, let alone the performance and everything. Pete, he wanted me to win each year because we were splitting everything 50, 50. He wanted me to win. He wanted me to get something he wasn't getting because we were splitting everything else. And he didn't want my mind to get goofed up because we were splitting everything. And I was contributing more just because my health was better than his. Right. And I thought to myself, what kind of guy comes up with this? What kind of mind plays that forward in his mind? thinks about the parameters of this whole thing, crafts this contest, puts it in place, engages. I mean, what kind of person does that? And I thought, man, this, I'm so blessed to have this man in my life. It's just extraordinary. This lesson and this lesson, which we refer to, as I refer to now as a part of Givers University, the Givers Contest Intention. We teach people how to build communities. And we say part of the community, when you build a community around you, a close-knit community, is you need to have what's called expectational agreements. There are certain things all of us are going to expect from each other, and we will hold each other accountable. And these agreements need to be made up front, not later on. And and we had an expectational agreement. We agreed on this contest and, and, and the results were astonishing to me. And the lesson was even more provocative. The giver's contest intention. So here's my question. And this is where I'd like to sort of move into with your listeners to, to really provoke some thought, I pray. And that is, there's a word out there today that has changed definitions the words community. See, and I could use best for your listeners an example. Years ago, there's a word spelled D-I-E-T. The word's diet, right? Many years ago, when you went to a meeting that had a couple of people at it, you went to a diet. The meeting was called a diet. That was the name of it. It was called a diet. You went to a diet. Then later on, if someone received a stipend or a, an allowance on a regular basis, that allowance or stipend was called a diet. You received a regular diet. Then as I was growing up in my lifetime, when you said diet, that meant the way a person ate. It was their daily diet, their eating habits. Now you say the word diet, it means weight loss. Right? All spelled the same way, but over a few hundred years, totally different meanings. I submit a thought to provoke with your listeners that the word community has gone through that same migration. And I'd like to identify for your listeners something that I refer to as taker communities. See if this sounds familiar. You get cajoled, you get invited. Please join our community. Be a part of us. We're a group of people and we're all thinking the same thing. And within hours of joining them, they're already trying to sell you something. Right? And then you know, unsubscribe, unjoin, unjoin. That's not a community, right? That, that, that's a taker community, which has been designed to either take from you or to make money off of you. 
That's not a community. That's a customer list. That's a prospect list. Don't do the bait and switch on me and call it a community. Because, you know, call it a prospect list. Call it a, a, a customer list. And if I'm interested in your products, great. I'll, I'll be on it and I'll learn about it. And I'll see if I'm interested. Maybe I'll be a customer. Don't do a bait and switch on me and call it a community and cajole me in. And all of a sudden I find out because now you're just soliciting me within hours and certainly days. So bye, 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 bye. Right. And, and, I, and I see people doing this on, you know, on the communities today and I just shake my head. I go, man, they are so missing the boat. And the amazing thing is they think it won't catch up and it always catches up. It always does. By contrast, huge contrast, we teach people how to form a giver's community. Now, a, a, a giver's community, we use the word junto, J-U-N-T-O, right? And the, and the word is actually, a, a junto basically is a group of people gotten together for a common interest and a common purpose. We teach people how to form their own Junto or they can form a giver's university or a giver's Junto as well. So this Junto basically is a group that have gotten together. So a little history on it for your listeners. I always like to throw in some interesting things that are sort of side facts, if you will. The word Junto dates back to the 1600s, Spanish word, wasn't used too much. In the 1700s, it was picked up by a gentleman in the United States. His name was Benjamin Franklin. And uh, he made the term a little more well-known because in, in 1727, Benjamin Franklin formed a group of 12 of his friends, including himself. And these 12 friends formed a group that Benjamin Franklin named the Mutual Improvement Club. Later on, he called it the Junto. Later on, he called it the Leather Apron Club. Now, what's interesting is that they met every Friday. They met for a couple of hours every Friday. And they would talk about all kinds of subjects, morals, ethics, politics, business. I mean, all covered the whole gamut. What's interesting is that in the United States, we have this thing called the Declaration of Independence. Our very Declaration of Independence could actually be traced back, arguably, to the very conversations Benjamin Franklin had at his Junto. So no one can tell me a junto cannot be powerful. It can be quite powerful indeed. And we teach people how to form what we identify as three basic different kinds of juntos. There's different kinds, but we sort of focus on three kinds. For your listeners, the three kinds, one is what we call the giver's greater junto. A giver's greater junto would be any group of any size. Uh, usually it could be very, it could be locally, worldwide. Salvation Army would be a good example. VFW would be a good example. Lions Club may be a good example. You know, they have chapters worldwide and they get together for a common purpose, right? That would be a, a greater Junto. The next would be an insider Junto. This would be a Junto of two to 12 members, much more closely knit, more intimate, know each other better. Uh, more uh, intimate conversations uh, about life, if you will. A good example would be Ben Franklin's Leather Apron Club. That would be a, an insider Junto, if you will. Then we have a giver's millionaire Junto. And this would be basically two to 12 vetted millionaires who are getting together for a common purpose. Uh, I was a participant in that with my business mentor. That We certainly had a giver's millionaire Junto. Another example would be uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Henry Ford in 1915. He formed a Junto. It was with him, Thomas Edison, the inventor, Harvey Firestone from Firestone Tires, John Burroughs, uh, who was a, a writer, a novelist, 
Um, he also curiously was a federal bank examiner, so he must have been the money guy. But anyway, they, so there was these four people and Henry Ford actually gave them a name and called them the four vagabonds. And they used to travel together and this was his Junto and they helped each other and they had, and, and actually it started, got, got in the media and then people tried to hitch a ride when they were traveling together and then they started meeting privately again. So those are the three primary parts of what we call our Juntos. And we help people and teach people how to form their own Junto for whatever reason they want, or if they want to form a Giver's Junto at Giver's University, we help, we help them there too. And we walk them through the seven steps and just to sort of utilize and, and sort of hit on those seven steps, if I may, for your listeners. I, I just want, I want this to be an action-packed golden nugget interview, Pete, and I, I hope I'm delivering on that. It's pure gold. I'm loving it. Absolutely loving it. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. The seven steps of forming a Giver's Junto is an acronym that spells out the word discern. Interestingly enough, with what we teach, right? D-I-S-C-E-R-N. Each one of those is one of the seven steps. The first step is, and I'm going to hit these a little bit quicker. Mm -hmm. You know, people can go to our website and we teach them all this free. We want them. We even give them free downloads. The 25 deeds I mentioned, those are free. We want people to do this. Our job is to try to get that scale out of balance that I talked about earlier, the life scale, right? So the D is decide. The first thing you want to do when you form your own Junto is you have to decide which people. There was a book out called Think and Grow Rich. It's, it's an awesome read. Fantastic. Probably will be for who knows how many years. It's awesome. Napoleon does an excellent job, Napoleon Hill, on explaining the mastermind principle, right? Now, when he explained that, it was quite novel at the time. He doesn't explain how to do it. He explains what it is and gives it sort of the explanation. And, and, I've, and I've been interested, Pete, to watch over the years of people who've gotten together and they come together and say, you know, let's let's meet on a regular basis. And then they, they go in with a decent intention. And then within a couple of months, it just sort of dissipates. You know, it just sort of go, they all end up sort of going their own way. And it just sort of, you know, there's nothing holding it together and that kind of thing. And so I, I was I was always I was curious about that. You know, why why was that happening? Because the power of the mastermind is, you know, unrefutable. You can't, you know, it is whenever two minds form together in a spirit of harmony, a third mind is formed. There's that is beyond reproach. You, that absolutely is provable. So we began then to put this together and we thought, well, the first step you have to do is decide who am I going to have in my Junto? How do I decide which people, right? So that's where the 25 do's come in and the 25 deeds. We actually give them a genuine checklist. Here's the checklist you follow. When they hit the left side with all these things, these are the people, the decision's made for you. You don't have to decide. It's right there. So D is for decide. I invite. How do you invite them? What do you say to them? Right? You want to invite your members. Assuming we're, I'm going to talk about an insider, Junto, just as sort of we go through here for simplicity. Uh, so the I is for invite. S, seed. You want to seed the Junto, which means basically explain to those that you've invited What's expected? You want to plant the seeds. We have what we call three pillars and one intention. They have to agree to these up front if they're going to be a giver's junto, right? Three pillars and one intention. The three pillars are, these are expectational agreements. That means they're agreed upon up front before they can be formally accepted into the junto. No agreement, no problem. We love you. It's just not a good fit for you. Great. No problem whatsoever, right? The three pillars are, first one is the Givers University, our credo, give to be great. You can be great by giving. You don't have to take. The second is a Givers University pledge to help 
every giver Junto member lead a life of predictive, massive, and exceptional happiness, freedom, and greatness. The third is our labor of love. Every Junto should have a labor of love. This is a work, a cause, something bigger, much bigger than ourselves. This is critical to the success of the Junto. They have to be working on something much bigger than themselves to be a part of something really, truly, truly life-changing, world-changing, and great. Our labor of love, I'll articulate, we're actually, we're, we're going to be launching it this coming fall with a huge launch. And we have literally crossed the T's and dot the I's on exactly how to do this. Our labor of love in Givers University is ending hunger one zip code at a time. And we know exactly how we're going to do it. Step by step, exactly how we're going to do it. And then, so those are the three pillars, credo, pledge, and the labor of love. The one intention, well, you've actually heard about that already. That's the giver's contest intention. In other words, everyone has to agree up front. As my mentor came to me with the contest. Every member has to agree up front that they have a fiduciary responsibility to compete to give to every member of the other 11 more than they are receiving back. Now think that through for a minute. Because I had one gentleman say, man, I got to tell you, he says, that sounds spectacular, but don't you think it's a little utopian? And I said, well, first of all, no, I don't because I lived it. So you can't tell me it's too utopian. I lived it already. I know that that works. I said, but you have to be discerning. You have to have the right people. But think of the power for a moment. Let's just walk down that path. Think of the power for a moment of, let's just use a dozen people who all have upfront agreed to the three pillars, pillars and the one intention. They've all agreed upfront that they are going to each contribute more than they are getting back. So each member that does that is doing that and they have the other 11 competing doing the same thing. What kind of dynamic can come out of a group like that? So I can share with you, it's not utopian. It is doable. And we have to follow and learn how to do it. That leads me to see and discern. See and discern, the word is convene. You have to meet on a regular basis. Ben Franklin every Friday, right? I mean, there's a, so, and, and it could be weekly, it could be monthly, it could be quarterly. The important thing is to have a consistent convening, convene on a consistent basis. E, establish, give a name to the Junto, the Leather Apron Club with Ben Franklin, the Four Vagabonds with Henry Ford. Give an identity to the Junto that helps and is critical to the glue and the camaraderie of the group and it's sticking together. The next is rotate. Have a different chair. How many, if there's a dozen people in the Junto, each, each meeting is a different person who leads the meeting. Uh, if there are givers Junto from Givers University, we actually give them the agenda. So that, you know, because one of the things we notice is that sometimes the masterminds that have dissipated, they lacked glue of the group and a structure. And uh, so we provide a structure by being able to say, okay, these are the things that the chair of your meeting, this one meeting, Here's the things that are to ask everyone in the group. All right. And they go around and, and to create a structure. And then the next meeting, there's another chairperson. So R is for rotate. And the N is for numbers. 
uh, broadcast your Junto worldwide. Seed other Juntos. Be a part of them. You can be a part of more than one millionaire Junto. You can be a part of more than one insider Junto. But watch what happens when we have had and learned the skill and have been walked through how do we discern the right kinds of relationships and how our productivity can go up when we have people who are competing to help us. Not only that, have agreed on upfront expectationally to a fiduciary relationship that they are going to compete against you to give more to the group than you are. And everyone else is doing the same thing. Those, those things, my friend, are the things that drive huge prosperity. That's beautiful. I mean, as you say, it, masterminds start with great intention. And then just when people say, oh, it's just the way it is, right? You know, it's just, just what it is. But I think that that's a beautiful backbone to remind people and to keep it fresh. It's a beautiful structure. You know, I applaud you for it. I think it's, I think it's wonderful. Absolutely. Thank you. And again, this is just what I was taught. You know, I'm the conduit. And, uh, and, and, and I just feel I'm excited that I can share with and be on podcasts like yourself. And, 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 I, and I pray that people listen to this. You know, if, they wanted, if they're thinking that and they think, wow, this would be a great idea. I'd love to do that. You know, all I have to do is just, all I have to do is send Mighty Pete's podcast to those people as a starter point of conversation and say, you know what, this Junto thing was very interesting. It was very thought-provoking. What do you think about that? And it's a perfect way where, again, Mighty Pete gets to become a, is a great mentor for his listeners because that's what the show is, is about mentoring and mentoring people. And how do you get that fire in your belly? And I got to tell you, the, what happens when you have the cumulative effect of the fire of everyone's belly? What comes out of that then? And that's why I, I pray this message is received and that, the, that people do something about it um, and that they listen to this podcast interview multiple times and they share it with others so that they can begin to have less of those fires they're stomping out. And, and it's all because no one's teaching that skill, Pete. No one's teaching it. You know, they, No one's teaching how do you discern in your relationships. And when we discern and we know what to look for, man, I got to tell you, it's wonderful. And it, it really is a blessing. And, I, and it's a blessing being on your show, which I appreciate. Uh, may I share with your listeners a little bit on how they connect, can connect with some of this information? Yeah, please do. Now, we, uh, uh, first of all, all we want, we recommend they go to our website. It's plural, giversuniversity.com. Go to giversuniversity.com. Um, they'll see on all the page, they can sign up for our free newsletter. There's no cost. It's absolutely free. As soon as they sign up, they'll get an email that says, do you want to communicate with these people? They have to answer that email and say, yes, we're not spammers. You know, I hate that. I, you know, I sign up for something because I want to download and then I'm getting six emails a day from them, you know, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. You know, it's just, we don't do that. Once a week, we send out an email on Thursday morning. The email is called the Giver's Toolbox and we provide them with a new tool. It's about a four minute read, usually a two minute video clip. And, and, and it's basically another tool another relationship tool they can add into their relationship toolbox every single week. And it goes out Thursday morning. And from that, they learn about our courses. They learn about what we are, who we are, what we do. All that is as a result of us investing literally in those relationships, because that's one of the things givers do is they invest in relation, give, invest in other giver relationships. So from that, they can see all of our icons for our social medias. We have our own YouTube channel. We walk people through on the YouTube channel, two minute clips, of how to form your own Junto, 
First of all, what is a giver's junto versus a taker? And step by step by step, even going through, in fact, last week we did the D on discern, and this week uh, the two-minute clip is going to be on the I. How do you invite and what do you do? So walking people through step by step on our YouTube channel, this is how you form a junto. We want them to do it because we're all beneficiaries when we do this. So by the way, when they sign up for the newsletter uh, for Givers University on our website, when they say, yes, I want to talk to these people, two hours later, they're going to receive a download email. They should download that. It's the 25 deeds I talked about. We want them to download those 25 do's, deeds, same thing. Uh, these are the 20, it's a checklist. These are the 25 things givers do. These are the 25 things takers do. This is going to help you with your relationships. It's a checklist and you total the bottom. You got, there's the answer. You don't have to figure it out. There it is. Just observe and check, Mark. Right, so we give that to them. We want them to print it off, use it in your. We want them to use it in their life every day to begin discerning in their relationships, and watch what happens with that predictive, massive, and exceptional happiness, freedom, and greatness as a result of that. It's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. I'd like to ask you a question, just coming back on something you, you talked about and you, you sort of emphasized the point on working on something bigger than self. Can you break that down for us and why that's important? Well, uh, and we refer to it as the labor of love. A thing we do that we do without any reciprocation in thought. All right. And we're not doing it because we're going to get something back from it. Uh, in, in fact, what we're actually doing, which is uh, so powerful, is that when we have a labor of love and we're doing something and contribute to something, something much bigger to ourselves, I call it lending to your future. Because, you know, what we're doing is we're, we're lending on that scale. We're putting more even at a greater level on that giver scale of life, if you will, because there's no thought of the reciprocation. There's no thought of what we're going to get out of it, the right side of the scale, the receiving part. And it helps. There's a there's a purifying part. There's a strengthening part. There's a, a, a part that uh, helps us each as individuals feel better. And when we put our head on our pillow at night, we can count our blessings. And we're not going, oh, whoa, 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 I'm a victim. I'm a victim. The world's so bad, it's worse today than it ever was. Yes, it is more challenging today, but in other ways, it's better. And that's always been that way. My father said that, and I bet you his father said it too. Yeah, it's worse today than ever before, but also it's better today than ever before. You know, I mean, and that, I don't see where that's going to change. So the labor of love, of being a part, and also that's a critical part of that glue too. In Givers University, we call it the pure give. The pure give is the thing you do, where you genuinely are doing it because it's in your heart and it's coming from your heart, not because it's coming from your mind. And what that does is it helps us come from a position of our heart and it strengthens us, our feelings, our fortitude, our desire, a fire in our belly comes from our heart. Is, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, that, that purity of giving and I'm, I'm just curious and I sort of, I was wondering that, I mean, is it, how do you check that? I mean, cause the ego is a very cunning and wonderful creature if you see it that way, but because sometimes we might give and say, no, I have no intentions at all. But actually, if you did this, then that would be wonderful, right? So there, there is, I don't know, is there, a, is there a method of testing the purity of a give? 
yes, and actually, we actually, one of the things we teach in the Pure Give is um, to do things throughout the day that are unexpected. There's the labor of love, which is the overall thing. But one of the things we actually teach, and it's in our, actually in our first course, The Giver's Mindset, the art, it's not the art of the pure give, but it is how to give a pure give. And a pure give can be that random thing you do as we begin to train the universe, if you will, that this is who we are. The standing in line at Starbucks and picking up the cost of the coffee of the next person in line and not even waiting around for them to say thank you. Yeah. You know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the going, driving in a fast food and paying for the grocery, you know, the, the meal behind, uh, and, the, and the little things you can do, the, the helping the person to their car or helping someone with their groceries or, you know, and, and opening the door for someone and, you know, deliberately waiting for someone when, you know, distance wise, it would be acceptable for you to walk through the door and have it close behind you. And you know that they're the next person, but the distance was just far enough where you deliberately on purpose, hold the door open and smile at them. See those things we're training ourselves. And as we train those things, they become a part of our character and that become that part of our character now helps us because we are, you know, when we're born, what do we do? Wham, 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 feed me. Right. I mean, yeah, that's a baby. Right. <laughs> you know, certainly we, there's all the wonderful things that come back. And I'm not to mention baby. I love babies. They're awesome. Right. Uh, and, and certainly every every life is a gift and a blessing. Uh, it, but even at that age, it's, you know, someone give me something else. Right. And, uh, and and because we're born into that, we're bought into that way. Right? So to be able to begin to deliberately refine ourselves and teach ourselves how the the giver's life scale works how to how to have those things really work so that our life has meaning and not just money because i've met some very very unhappy rich people and i've met some very very happy successful people i interviewed one time a person who had earned who had won the 10 million dollar lottery sat with the husband and wife who both readily agreed if they knew now what they knew then they would have ripped up the ticket and i mean heartily agree <clears throat> i mean and you think you know everyone probably the lord of the lottery i want to win what i would do if i was rich and, yeah. no that's just wealth in the hands of someone who hasn't been trained to learn how to manage it that's wow. all that is and and they said you know how their friends changed and all their life and they and they they, they didn't know who was their friend and who wasn't their friend and who had agendas and, and the betrayals and the things one after another that it was like you know what was going to be the worst next worst thing that could happen all traced back to this incredible moment where they got these tickets that you know they said right now both of them said clearly they would have ripped up the ticket now knowing what they know now so those are the lessons see that's a part of it how, how do we puritanically become the very best person we can be and part of that is to have a labor of love part of that is to have the giver's contest intention with everyone that we're around and but then also be discerning with who those people are that are around us and if i may if i'd like to leave the Three most impactful phrases my mentor left with me as we sort of sum up our interview. And that is these three things he talked me into, got me to agree to saying this to myself every day. And I said this to myself now for over four decades, multiple times every single day. And these three little phrases, just a few little words, helped me through the betrayals, 
the spectacular times and the challenging learning times, the times when fortunes came at me faster than I could count, and the times when they left seemingly even faster. <laughs> All of those things happened because, and I was able to walk through them as though I was guided through them, partly because of these three phrases I share with your listeners. So I hope they listen to this part. I hope they begin to say these three things to themselves every day as well and watch how it impacts them. And in closing our interview, I'd love to share them with them to have them make note of these and use them. And they are, I will never give up. I will keep rising up and I will always overcome. Nice. Love it. Beautiful. I mean, there's, there's so many, I could, I could talk to you all day, really. I think it's, it's phenomenal. Can I ask, I'm going to ask for a, a quick, what makes a great question? The intention. Yeah. The intention of the question. And there's, you know, it, it, because then when we get to the intention of the question, hmm. now we know that question has a direction. And there's a destination for it. It's not something that's feebly being done, uh, you know, to take up space in a conversation or something. A, a, a good question and a good solid question has already a good intention behind it. And it starts with that intention. That starts with our thought. That starts with our why. Why are we asking it? One of the biggest things people do today is they just don't think, they don't think why is that person doing that? They just see what they're doing, right? And, and, and sometimes there's value in asking why. And uh, great lessons can be learned in those whys that are in there. So um, I would say what makes a great question is the great intention that came before it. Mm, beautiful answer. I love that. Uh, are you clear on your why? Are you clear on your purpose while you're here? Absolutely. I'm doing it every day. It's called Givers University. Right. That's it. Total clarity. In fact, even interestingly enough, we genuinely have our next 30 years planned out. Where we're going to be in the next 30 years, month That's by month, right? month by month, year by year. Mm. Love it. Love it. Why not? I mean, that's it. You know, you, you've learned so much there. Uh, Does if, if you were to try and summarize your fire in the belly in one or two words, what would they be? I got to tell you, the, my, my desire to fulfill my vow and my oath, that's mine. Mm -hmm. I know what I was blessed with. I'm still learning what I was blessed with informationally and from my mentor, from those meetings. I look back now and I, I'm convinced meeting with Jude Martino was not chance or luck. I don't believe in chance or luck. And as I mature in my age, uh, you know, already having my, uh, 44th birthday of our 44th anniversary of my 21st birthday <laughs> that, <laughs> that, uh, that I, I, I have found out that I don't believe in chance or luck. Mm. Uh, these things that, you know, that happen and the, the blessings I've had that were blessings for upcoming lessons that I didn't recognize at that time. Uh, so yeah, I've been very, very blessed with the, you know, the, the June Martinos, the Sam Robbins, and, and even those, the takers that taught me great lessons that helped me learn how to discern more and the tests, was I going to fulfill my vow and my oath all the way? And that is exactly what I was going to do every day I'm breathing. 
Fantastic. Yeah, remind us where can people reach you? Where can people sort of make sure and get get in contact and, and learn more? I suppose that's what it's all about, really. Uh, Givers University, plural, GiversUniversity.com. That's the website. Sign up for the newsletter. Learn about us. Get that free download right away. Start to discern in your relationships and watch how your life improves. It just, and you know, just and so many people have looked at it and said, oh, I've needed this for so long because they, they all of a sudden are around this rat pack and they can't figure out how to get all these people around me, you know, just taken from me all day long. And they just didn't, it's a skill. It's like anything else. It's a skill. And they reach a point where later on, we just do it automatically. Just like when you're standing outside the car, you know, when you're standing outside the car, you had to step on the brake because the car is stopped and you're out of it. But you don't necessarily remember stepping on the brake. You just knew you did, right? And when discernment in relationships becomes like putting your foot on that brake, watch the spectacular things that can happen and how truly we begin to believe and understand that every day, every day above ground is a wonderful gift. Wonderful. Tell me quickly, what's, what does leisure and pleasure look like for you? Well, I love to fly. You know, I, uh, I sort of trade off, if you will. Uh, my three favorites, I suppose, would be, uh, um, you know, I'm second degree uh, black belt in martial arts. Uh, I used to teach it years ago in my 20s. Uh, became an advanced scuba diver in search and rescue and uh, then flying. You know, I, uh, and, and, and even in those things, by the way, I want to mention, you know, became an advanced scuba diver, became a second degree black belt, became a commercial pilot. How did I do that? It wasn't me. You know what I found? I found a mighty Pete. I found a mighty Pete in the flying world that could teach me how to fly. That was an expert flyer. Right? I, I learned. I, I wanted to learn how to become not just a scuba diver, but I, I was intrigued by search and rescue and being able to swim in water that I'm not able to see a foot in front of my face and, and watch the gauges and know where I'm at. So I, I, I found someone who worked for the local community in search and rescue with the fire department. And I said, could you teach me? Because I were a scuba diver. Right? And you know what's amazing, Pete, is that these people who have done these things and are truly experts at their field, they're the easiest people to talk to. They really are. And they want to share once they realize that and they and very quickly. And I think that's what June, maybe June saw that in me. Maybe June thought, saw that I really genuinely wanted to know what happened with McDonald's. I wasn't asking because I wanted to get close to June or be close to the icon or say I knew June Martino. It wasn't that. I didn't even know. I never knew I was going to be telling stories like this about that, reflecting back on it. But I think maybe she just picked up on that this not no 16-year-old really wants to know. And she felt it and gave me a whole day of her time, which I still am astonished by. And the same with my mentor. So don't underestimate those things. And 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 you know, and and being predictive and massive and exceptional also includes our leisure. Why not? Mm. So I found those people who were the best, and I said, Will you mentor me? Just that simple all the way even in leisure. And I love to do, those are three among my three favorite things. And of course, I read the Bible every morning too. I love to do that. And you know, I do my workouts every day and that's sort of the, the martial arts carryover, I guess you could say. And, you know, three days a week with uh, weights and three days a week cardio and, and uh, you know, just loving every second of it, you know? And uh, I, I, I share with the listeners, you know, I'm 65. What's your excuse if you're sitting back already? I'm just getting started. <laughs> 
you've given so much, but I'm gonna I last I'll ask every guest what what's one message you'd like to leave the listeners that if they took nothing else away today that they took this. That would be the one message I say, and I forgive me for repeating it, but I, I I'll I'll repeat it for emphasis. I will never give up. I will keep rising up, and I will always overcome. Love it, love it. Oh, yeah, Sokovitz, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you sharing. I'm very grateful for your gratitude and grateful for your giving. So listen, thank you for coming on. And I've, I have a funny thank you, mighty talk people. again. And uh, listen, I, wish I look you- forward to it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And for your listeners, please share this podcast with others. If you want to start your own Junto, for any reason, it doesn't have to be a Givers University. We're there to teach you. We want to teach you. And you have one of the best mentors you could ask for here with Mighty Pete. So, you know, forward his mentoring podcast to other listeners. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Pete. You're a gentleman. Thank you. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, oh boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.